Welcome to the Savage Leader Podcast, where I interview leaders from all walks of life so that you can walk away with tips to apply to your life and your career. But this isn't your traditional leadership podcast, because I believe that leadership tips come from successful entrepreneurs and business executives, of course, but they also come from unexpected places, like from Navy SEALs, successful professional athletes, sports coaches, musicians, entertainers, and more. So let's dive right in to today's episode. My hope is you walk away with something tangible that you can apply immediately to your life and your career. Today's guest on the Savage Leader podcast is Ryan Berman. Ryan is the founder of Courageous, a reinvention company that helps their partners fight fear, create change, and win. Ryan is also the author of Return on Courage and the co-host of the Courageous podcast. Hey, Ryan, thanks for coming on today. Are you sensing a theme from my bio? <laughs> I am sensing a very strong theme. I was actually going to ask you a first question. So courage, I see the courage boot camp, courageous in the background. So what is it about courage that gets you excited? You know, it's such a, it's like, how much time do we have? I mean, it's a good first question. I honestly think when I look back at some of the choices that I made, I didn't realize it at the time, like moving to a new city where you know nobody or being a 21-year-old and moving to New York City, which is how I started. Back then, I wasn't conscious. I wasn't aware of it, but they were courageous moves. And so it wasn't until I started sparring with the word, which is probably when I turned 40, that I started looking back at my own life. And it's was like, wow, every time I seem to make a courageous move in my life, I'm happier. I'm terrified, but I'm happier for doing it. You know, I come from creative agencies. So like every time we were working on a, a courageous idea, and we weren't sure if the client would buy it. Like my team would stay later. They'd be more pumped for it. And by the way, when the, when clients picked those ideas, they worked. The return was better. And every time, by the way, we would get stuck on a safe idea or a boring idea, my team was less invested. It didn't work as well. And so like that's really what kind of get me, got me down the path of studying this concept of courage. And like I said, it's like, wow, it's... Every time we kind of go through with it, I'm a happier, lighter person. It's like going to the gym. So that was about five years ago when I really started to study it. And now it's it's really about helping partners see the differences between a, a careless move and a courageous one. That's really our job. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's sounds like it's become almost a mantra for you. It's not only a mantra, it's a mentality. And I think, you know, if let's say your guests have four minutes with us, you could stop here. Like it can't just be a mantra. I think it has to be a mindset. And what happens is a lot of companies, you know, they, they work on their goal sets for the year and their goal setting. And then they, they think about their team, like who has the skill set to deliver on that goal set. And what gets left behind is the mindset that's needed to actually see something through. And, you know, if you're going to need courage, then that's probably because there's a tenacious project where, you don't have all the answers and it's going to take time and resources and it's not going to be perfect. So I think the mindset is almost more important than the mantra. Yeah. I mean, I think everything gets back to mindset and how do you, I think probably a lot of people might think, well, what are some practical steps? Like how to actually show courage or be courageous, but it really comes back to that mindset of courage. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? So like, where does that mindset come from? Like, how do you instill that in yourself and other people? Yeah. So I think this would be a good time to share my rabbit hole moment. What actually sent me down this rabbit hole? So, 
you know, when you actually look at the dictionary definition of courage, it's the ability to do something that frightens one. If you pulled a thousand people in a company, like, do you want to do things that are afraid at work? Like 95% are taking a step back. Like, like, no, like, I don't want to get fired. If I could just sort of, you know, we live, I live in San Diego, you live in San Diego. Like the chief executive officer of my family, my wife has no interest in us leaving San Diego. So she's like, be very careful what you say. So you don't get yourself fired, right? And this is this is normal fare for most employees. They're compensated on an annual basis. So you're actually compensated not to stick your neck out. Just do enough to get to that next bonus, that next review. And we don't want to take on things that terrify us at work. And when I looked at that dictionary definition, I'm like, how is where's the utility in this? Like, how is this helpful at all? Like, oh, this is something I'm afraid of. And I just wanted to come up with a better definition of courage that you could use in the messy middle of a project, which is where courage is needed. So my definition is very simply knowledge plus faith plus action equals courage. And it has to be all three for it to be a courageous move. So think about it, your business, your leader, you're never going to have every bit of data you need to make a call that you're never going to have every bit of knowledge you need to make a call. And if you wait and you wait to collect all that data, you're probably going to get passed by a competitor, which is why we need faith. And when we talk about faith, we don't mean it in the religious sense. We mean it in the inner belief sense. We mean it in the intuition sense. We mean it in the your experience sense. And so think about how many times have you known the right move and you felt it was the right move and then nothing ever happens. And that's the action piece. That's the last piece. And so that's the irony is two or three in any directions is not courageous. So knowledge and faith without action is paralysis and faith and action without knowledge is reckless. And what we've learned is that knowledge and action without faith, if you're just kind of going through the motions and you're numb on the inside, you're probably working on status quo. You're working on safe. And when you put ideas into the universe that are safe in this media obese world we're living in, you're just going to blend in with everything else. So I, I love that knowledge, faith, action. I'm a big believer in you have to have the action piece. You have to have, for us, we talk about intention, reflection, and action, because I think so many things start with an intention, which maybe what you're talking about when you talk about that mindset or that mentality and reflection, which is a little bit different, which is more looking inside ourselves. But for me, I'm just so hell bent on action just because that's the way I live my life and what I want for my, the best for my clients. But Talk to me a little bit more about that. You said something really interesting. You said courage is most important during the messy middle of a project. Yeah. In some ways, let's say the ultimate goal for any business or leader is this quest for relevance. Being relevant or staying relevant or chasing relevance, those aren't journey words. Those are destination words. Landing in the lap of a customer and you're like, wow, this is actually meaningful to me. Like my Peloton, I love my Peloton. That is a meaningful tool that we now have in our garage thanks to the pandemic. Super meaningful to me. And a lot of decisions that they made on the making of that bike along the way is where courage showed up, how to gamify it, how to how to add badges, how to have partnerships with Beyonce or whomever they're bringing in. And so that's sort of the harsh reality is that the media does us no favors. Hollywood does us no favors where they make courage sort of seem like a cherry on top after the fact moment when the truth is 
where we need courage is in the messy middle of decision making. And and it's like, if we don't know what we stand for, we never know when to take a stand. And a lot of the work that we do at Courageous comes down to clarity, belief, and forms for hard conversations. And when you have clarity in the messy middle, you then know how to make a call. And if you stay firm on your beliefs, you're going to actually create what I call believership. You're going to create people that believe in the, in the, in the essence of the idea of the leadership team. And so the more clear you are, the more people believe, the more people buy in, the more consistent you are on on that clarity, the more action you are taking. And that's, again, the outcome of courage is doing something meaningful and hopefully staying relevant. I love just the idea of the journey versus the destination. And can you talk to me a little bit about how that relates to courage? Yeah, again, I, I think when you chalk up courage to just a journey word, that you need it in that space, then it comes down to, well, which knowledge should you be following, right? How do you build internal and external faith? And then where do you take action? And frankly, where, do you, where don't you take action, right? Like, like, and again, if you're clear what's important to you, and this is, this is a conversation, in my opinion, first about the values of the organization. Like if the values are, are real versus like CYA values or table stake values, then, then when it comes down to, to making a hard decision, you can look to the values to help you make those informed decisions. And then again, then your staff knows what to expect from you because they're living the values as well. And that's how you believe faith. That's how you get the faith built up. So to me, it just comes down to that. If courage is nothing more than which knowledge should you be following? What are the fears that could be taking down your business? And how do you shrink down those fears? And then, you know, build up your faith and take action. Yeah, it's interesting is when you say courage, I think a lot about how companies will say fail forward. You know, that could just be a, a word or a value or a statement that people put on their walls. But courage is the same way. But how are you working with organizations to really reinforce that in terms of how do you get them to to really infuse that idea of being courageous out into the organization? Yeah, it's such a good question. Uh, again, I, so one, I, I am an absolute crazy person on values. To me, I, I don't think... It's sort of sad to see organizations not activating their values. They've got too many values. People can't remember the values. They're not rewarding their staff off those values. And look, I, I always like to say core values are not eye rolls. They're how the exceptional role. And when they're real and you put them in play and you're rewarding your staff on them monthly, then your staff actually knows the behaviors that is asked of them. And so if you're not rewarding your team off those values, then that's the easiest way to start. If you feel like the values are, are BS or you know really there to protect you versus drive behavior, then maybe it's time to have a hard conversation with your leaders about how do we like reevaluate the values that we have so they mirror this next generation workforce. And if we've learned anything about this current generation who thinks that my generation messed up this world, they wear their values on their sleeves, they're driven by purpose. And if we don't figure this out, you're going to have a serious attrition problem. So to me, it starts right there with the values of the organization, making them real. And like, again, maybe the best question I could ask on today is, when you think about that next generation workforce and they come and they work for you, what are they really signing up for? Is it a job? Is it a career? Or is it a calling? And if it's a calling and there's a genuine purpose behind the work, they're going to want to stick around. They're going to want to fight for you. It's it's more than profit. It's it's like, what are you contributing to the world? Well, yeah, and that's 
become so much more important, whether it's millennials or Gen Z, it's just making sure that there is that purpose. It's got to be more than a job, and we based on my experience and what I see as well, which can lead to so much greater fulfillment as well. I mean, so much of the work that I do with leaders is instilling that sense of purpose because it's, you know, getting out of the bed in the morning, we have so many choices in our world, just in the more purpose we can have is going to just make us that much more motivated and just to bring so much more out of our teams as well. Yeah, this is a complete mindset shift for the leader, right? So if courage is nothing more than a prerequisite for change, right? And you're like, well, when I grew up, I grew up, you put your head down, you work at a company for 20 years, you get a nice watch, congrats, right? And you work your way up the ladder and it's about profitability. And then you finally get to that seat, whether it's you stayed at one company or you took what you learned and you started your own. And then you feel like this next generation's entitled. They're not entitled. It's a different world for them than for you. They're used to growing up with 13 screens at, and playing on all of them at the same time. The irony about the change is it's not change to the next generation. It just is. It's changed to the leader. It was like, well, my world wasn't that world. Well, okay, this isn't my way or the highway anymore. Your, your job is to create an environment where those next generation leaders feel empowered and challenged and on board and committed. And I think that is the hard part is when you can actually step out of yourself and into the shoes of somebody else. To me, that's where courage is needed. It's courage to like, okay, they're not driven by just profitability, they're driven by purpose. Now think back to your company, like how are you going to actually provide that for your staff and your customers? But that's really hard. I mean, expecting an executive to to step out of themselves and go, I'm actually the one who needs to change. It's not these entry-level workers that want more purpose, they want more flexibility, whatever it is they want and what they value, but it's, they need to change. Like, How do you go about making that shift, like obviously it gets back to being courageous, but what are some specific things that you do with those folks? Yeah, I think the first thing we try to do is really have them deconstruct the word leader. And this is so hard for leaders to hear. What is a leader? If nobody is following the leader, are you a leader? Bosses are not necessarily leaders and leaders are not necessarily bosses. So who is worth being followed? Like, am I worth being followed? Are people going to follow me? This is why I, I have a gripe with the word leadership. And I, I, I said it already earlier, but like, I like the word believership. Because I think the believership is the group that is responsible for making believers across the organization, make believers out of your board, make believers out of your staff, make believers out of the customers. Leadership sometimes, what happens is it's like, well, one person feels like the leader, like they're on an island by themselves. When you're only as good as the team, the team is the believership. And so I think that's the goal is like, do you have a team that you can genuinely believe in and, and then create more believers out of? Yeah, I love that. Extending beyond the word leader to believership. I think a lot about a word that I really don't like, which is supervisor, which just connotes something in the 1800s. And then it's manager. And it's like, well, that's a little bit better. But now it's about managing tasks and deadlines and resource. And then it's leader, believer, and something I focus on is coach. So how do you actually get more out of people? And, and so much of that requires that servant leadership mindset. But um, you know, I think it connects back to a lot of what you're saying as well. Is it's like a 
an evolution along that continuum and developing into whether it's a coach or a believer? Yeah, I think they're both needed. You know, what's your take on mentor? Do you have a, a, a feeling on mentor either way? I mean, I think it can be really positive. I think it's a little bit different than all of these things. But to me, I think about a mentor as someone who's gone through the, many of the things that you've gone through. So less of a coach, which is more of a guide helping you create awareness to what you didn't understand before or weren't aware of. Whereas a mentor is a little bit more of someone, I think, similar. But to me, I think about the mentors I've had, it's they've already walked through the fires that I'm trying to walk through now. And by the way, I think they're incredibly powerful. I've experienced personally, but also for other people as well. What about yourself? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm curious because it's like, I think you're probably right. Like it's, it's, it's not so in the fire still. Like you're kind of bringing that outside perspective, which might be necessary when often we drink the Kool-Aid once we get stuck inside an organization. So that perspective from the outside world is nice. I really like coach though, too. I, I think there's something to it. This is what happens when you get a writer on the show too, which is like, if a word's taken, I'm going to make up a word. I think poor leaders turn leadership into cheerleadership, you know, and they start rah-rahing to their staff when what the staff really wants is the truth. And, you know, I've got my courageous podcast and one of the sad sort of insights that keeps coming up, Darren, is like, wow, now in the workplace, a courageous act is just telling the truth. I mean, that is so sad that just being honest and not having a political conversation and saying, you know what, this isn't good enough. Like we can be better. Or, hey, I expected more of you and maybe I expected more of me as well. And just the hard truth. And the amount of time you'll pick up by just kind of bringing the truth. I'm thinking back to a specific conversation I had with one of the leaders at Snap. And she's like, you know, it's sort of, I just try to keep it real with my team. We don't have time for anything else but to keep it real. Like that is now an act of courage, which is fascinating to me. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing as well, whether it's truth or another word I hear similarly is candor. And I've worked with so many people and seen teams that they value that candor until it's turned around on them. So I think it's really important that you contextualize it, you know, in service of their growth, in service of their mission, something just, just not just to slam someone. Because I've heard people say, you know, just blow someone up and go, hey, I'm just being truthful. And it's like, yeah, you are, but you're also dishonoring that word. Yeah. And you're an asshole. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I'll go, I'll go there and say it, right? Like, right. What is it? People join companies, but leave bosses. Is that what the cliche is? Right. So, so I think there's a thoughtfulness to the way you lead. There should be a, there's, that means there needs to be awareness and you need to, like you said, we go back to the leader being able to step into the shoes of, of somebody else. Are they, are they asking the right questions? Another thing I've, I've loved that I've heard re- recently is, especially during the pandemic, it's not just about listening to your team, but it's remembering what they're saying and then bringing those stories back in other conversations. It's like listening is one thing, remembering is something else. And you're just trying to find genuine ways to connect with your team and understand what they're going through and get the most out of them. So take me back a little bit. I'm curious, little Ryan. So how did courage first show up for you? I blame my parents. So if we're going to do this, like, I think it started when I was eight years old and I don't need to like lie down on a couch and cry. This was a great memory. I have an older brother who's four years older than me. I grew up in outside of Washington, DC in Potomac, Maryland. And I'll never forget my brother coming home from summer camp. 
And he went, it was a sleepover camp, a month long camp. And I was seven years old. And I was like, I want to go to that camp. And like, I kicked and screamed until my parents sent me. And so the next year when I was eight, I was on an airplane flying four states away to North Carolina to a camp called Camp Seagull and was down there for four weeks and absolutely fell in love with it. I was in cabin two of 64 cabins. So one of the youngest kids there. And, you know, you wonder why I live 3,000 miles away from my family now. They taught me to be independent from a young age and go live a courageous adventure. And, you know, when I think about all the the little moments I've been able to experience at eight, it, it was going to the South and seeing what life was like down in the South and recognizing that, wow, people down here are different. And, you know, as an observationalist, that was interesting. And then, you know, I spent a summer in, in California and was like, wow, people out here are different. They're laid back. And then going to school in upstate New York, be like, wow, people here are different, right? They're more forward. And so, you know, there's some statistic that of the 340 million Americans and 50% of us live 50 miles from where we were born. So the apple really never falls far from the tree. We never really leave what we know. And when I think about Return on Courage, as much as I wrote it because I wanted to inspire teams to be more courageous, there's all these little extra bonuses that came out of the process. I'm sure we were aligned on this, this is, you know, with your book too. Like when I think about my two kids, who by the way are eight and five, I'm like, you know what? I hope they live a courageous life. I want them to go live a courageous adventure. Now I can't force them to read the book. Actually, if I tell them to read the book, they probably won't just because I told them to do it, right? They got to figure it out on their own. But, you know, my wife and I have very, a very different stance on this. Like I want them to go live an awesome life, get out of here, go see things, report back. My wife's like, oh no, wherever the kids live, we'll live. Like that sounds terrible unless they're in like Bali, then that sounds great. So I think like when I think back to it all, it was just this curiosity to go check stuff out and start to realize that we're all very different. And that doesn't mean one is right or wrong. It's just that we're all very different. And once you understand that different and it becomes more normal for you, you know, and you do it again and again and again, it's like a muscle. Then all of a sudden you, you don't mind traveling when you're 10 years old or you're 12 years old. You're not afraid to go do those things. That is like a muscle, but that's also a mindset. I'm sure people are just terrified by that idea. People who live close to home, you know, for me, I always love change. And for me, the first time I was immersed in a foreign culture, we lived in Switzerland and I went into a Swiss public school. I was nine years old and I had to learn not only high German, which is the national language, but also Swiss German, which is a totally different language. And that was hard, man. But then the next time you jump in, it's a little bit less scary. Boom, dropping into Barcelona and learning Spain and, and going abroad to Milan, moving to Brazil and starting a company, learning those languages, it becomes more and more familiar, but it still requires courage each time along the way. And I get to see your face, you know, because we're, you know, we've got video here. So it's almost like a badge of honor for you. It felt like a badge of honor. Like it was hard, but you did it. And to know that you went through something that a lot of people don't. And I think that is the sort of two big key takeaways from being courageous. I think there's a, there's a less emotional, if I'm running a team, I'd want to know. And then there's the emotional side of it. So one, I believe when teams learn how to activate courage, it is a competitive advantage. If you get the whole team playing off 
the courageous playbook and we're all speaking the same language and we're all moving at the same speed and we're all not afraid to have hard conversations and we're all clear in what we're doing. We all believe in each other. That is a massive competitive advantage. The the experts suggest that 95% of us are freezer flight. So that means that like 95% of companies are basically driven by fear while 5% of companies are driven by action, by courage. So which would you rather be? Would you rather be in the 95% or the 5%? Like I'll take in the 5%, right? Like that is a, we could teach you knowing that those companies aren't going to get out of their own way. They're just going to spin. They're, they're going to stay stale or scared. That's a massive competitive advantage for the 5% that figure it out. And then the emotional benefit, I think this is personal life as much as professional life is like, just being courageous, getting through those hard things actually makes you happier. When you actually go through it, even when it's hard and you you face that fear and you go through that fear and like you learn a new language or you go to a new city or you go to a new company and you're you're scared and then you start to learn the language, you start to understand the people, you start to have real conversations and you get through it, you actually are a happier person by going through it. And so there's so many benefits for taking on that change and going through that fear, you just have to take that first step. Without that action piece, there is no courage. There's so much richness to what you just said. I just wanted to dive in a few of those things. And one of the premises of writing my own book is that I believe there's an opportunity for everyone in an organization to step up as a leader for so many reasons that I won't go into. But what I love what you're saying is courage, which I could imagine a lot of times people would think, oh, that's the role of the leader or the manager, they need to be courageous to make decisions. But you're saying, no way. We're pushing this down to all levels of organization because we need everyone to be courageous. Because I think about even a frontline customer service person might be the first person that hears about a new threat or a new opportunity, a new pain point from their customers. To me, that's leadership. And I can imagine that would take courage as well. I would almost, and we're singing the same song, by the way, but like I would almost flip it. If I'm a leader, the data point that you have a successful company is if it doesn't come from you, right? It's bottom up. It's the other way. Like you've hired well, if those are coming to you, not from you, that the expectation is that you can be courageous. You know, have you read Ashley Vance's book on Elon Musk? So, you know, I think he hired the first thousand people at the company. So the book says, so like, there's something to that, like that, that is how important your people are, like that you would be that thoughtful, that deliberate, slow down that much to make sure you have the right people so that you don't have to make those decisions. And so, yeah, courage to me, it's not about top down. It's about bottom up as well. Yeah. Courage is to hire people that are smarter than you, that are subject matter experts or just better at things. And that takes a heck of a lot of courage because I know so many people where they're frightened to death of that idea about looking like they don't know the answer to everything. But that, to me, is true leadership and true courage in that sense. Totally agree. And it's so hard to say, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Like, I, Does anyone know? I don't know. How are we going to figure this out? This past week, I ran a session, and the CEO at the end of the session pretty much acknowledged that to her executive team. And I was like, yeah, like, hey, let's take a moment to realize how hard it is to say that as fragile creatures, human beings, how hard it is to actually admit that you don't know. And I don't know if someone said that to me, it would make me want to work harder for them, not hold it against them, but it's just the way we're wired. It's hard to, it's hard to do that. And getting back to your question about mentorship. And I've, I've had a mentor in the past where 
She clearly had way more knowledge and expertise than I did at that time. But she really valued me and asked me what I thought. It was almost like this reverse mentoring in situations. I have that with someone else who's a fantastic writer. And yeah, was I a superior to him, which I don't like that word either. But did he report to me? Yes. But also over time, that totally flipped. And he's been an incredible advisor and, and source of insight to me. And then just the same thing in a company context as well. Yeah. How do you, how do you create the arena for that conversation to, to happen, right? Like that is sort of the irony of all of this is like this relationship between safe and unsafe that will always exist, right? Like, is it a safe place for us to have a hard conversation, right? Like that's the juxtaposition is pretty solid. Or in some ways, I always like to say, hey, if you're risk averse, unbeknownst to you, you're courage averse. If you're in risk management, you're also in courage management. It's the same conversation. And so now it's like, okay, knowing that mentality, how do I help take the courage out of courage? Like what tools can I give you to make it feel a little less scary to take on change? Our our little tagline is your future is safe with change. Sorry, that's the only safety there is, right? Change is hard, but the hardships of not changing will be far harder. And so this relationship between these two worlds of safety, feeling safe to have hard conversations, because if you don't, right, and, and this is not my line, I think I think Seth Godin said the safe is unsafe. Safe is the most unsafe thing you could do. And you're a sitting duck if you don't start to move. And so it's hard for the leader to start making those courageous moves, those courageous changes. But we need to put the ball in play if we're going to make any change. It reminds me of a, a quote, I think, by Mario Andretti, and I'll totally blow this quote, but he says something like, whenever I'm driving so fast where I feel out of control, that's where I'm winning. That's where I'm beating the competitors. And that, it's like right on the line. It's so good. I think you nailed it. I don't know the quote, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll say it exactly like that for better. <laughs> so speaking of courage, so you've got a pretty exciting new project that not sure if you can talk about, but talk to me about the new book project you're working on. Yeah, I had a project that fell on my lap about 15 months ago that I just couldn't say no to. And so if you ask me, like, what do I love outside of like my family? It's it's stories and it's soccer. About 15 months ago, so I did some work with the San Diego Loyal. They're the they're in the USL. This is sort of the the step league to major league soccer here. But but Landon Donovan, who's quite arguably the greatest male US soccer player that we've produced for America, is part owner and coach of the San Diego Loyal. At the time, the job was to just sort of run their offsite. And then that turned into helping them set the values of the organization and start to work through the process of courage. And where it landed was starting to build a genuine relationship with Landon. One thing led to another, and he had been talking about writing his memoir and asked me if I would, if I, that interested me. And I, it was an honor. I mean, it was just like, he said, no, you know, no guarantees, but if I was, if I was interested, let him know. I was like, I don't see how I could say no to that. Like as a storyteller that loves the game, that played the game. Now I joke, Landon was an all-star and I was a half star growing up, you know, playing soccer, but realized that like, oh my goodness, what if all of that soccer growing up was nothing more to prepare me to help him tell his story? And so we are about a week away from delivering the rough draft to Landon and his agent. And um, the goal is to have the book out by World Cup, which is next year in November. And it is very much in line with 
courage brands. You know, he's he has lived a courageous life, and I he's been very deliberate in not sharing a lot about what happened to him. So, in the spirit of not giving away, I will say, how do you go from being raised in 900 square feet with a mom who was a special ed teacher and often was working all the time, and dad really wasn't in the picture early, to the greatest player US, the U.S. has produced. And that's the story. It's, it's really using soccer to tell other stories. But of course, we cover all the amazing things he's done on the field as well. I mean, talk about courage, right? I mean, you just raising your hand and saying yes, you couldn't say no. But to write a story, a memoir, no less, about an American icon, an athlete, and wanting to make sure you tell that story authentically to him. I mean, that takes a heck of a lot of courage to say yes to that. I mean, and it does. It, it, it's got everything. Well, I acknowledge where I hear you. And, and, and again, you know, he read my first book, which is a very different type of book, right? I mean, in some ways, I guess in some ways there's similarities. They're both listening tours, right? They're both, they're both going out and interviewing. I mean, I probably have 70 hours of interviews with Landon and Tim Howard and Michael Bradley and Bruce Arena and his mom and his dad and his sister. And just like on Return on Courage, I was sitting with astronauts and Navy SEALs and tornado. The process was was similar. It wasn't like, oh, I'm so smart and here's what I think on my soapbox. I really went and listened to all these people that were doing it and then just sort of reported back. And so, you know, over the last 12 to 14 months, he had enough belief in me to honor his story. And it doesn't mean he's going to like it. He hasn't seen anything yet other than very little that thankfully he has liked. But um, it really is just uh, an honor to tell his story to the world. And people said to me along the way, you know what, he's a great soccer player, but he's a better human. And you're like, yeah, right. And then the more time you spend with him, the more you realize that's the truth. So it makes it easy to to want to work hard for somebody like him. Yeah, which gets back to just being a great leader too, you know, being a great human, someone who shows up for their team members. It's not just about themselves. It's not just about ego. And it's not. Again, I think when you hear the story, I will say, so this is what I get. My, if I had to guess what the book is about, it's kind of classic storytelling. Like, I think he set out to be the greatest, you know, quest to be the greatest soccer player. And where he landed was be the greatest version of himself. What does that mean to be a world-class human, not just a world-class athlete. I love that. Beautifully said. Thanks, man. Well, hopefully we can say it in the book. <laughs> well, I've got a hundred thousand words. It'll be interesting to see what the, what the editor does, but well, just a, a complete joy to, to, to go tell the story. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Look forward to reading that. So is there anywhere people can go to find out about that book or to, to pre-order or is this too early in the game? You're the first to, to even hear about it. You know, I mean, we're way too early. I will say, you know, I, like I talk about it on my newsletter a little bit, but we're not, it's not even going to be out till November of next year. And it'll, it'll, it'll run in, in parallel with the World Cup. So, hey, Ryan, I really appreciate this conversation. You taking the time to come on the show. So where can people go to find out more about your company, about your book and your podcast? Yeah, I guess if, uh, if the book, again, sorry, not the landed book, but if Return on Courage sounds like your cup of tea, I would go to returnoncourage.com or they have it at Amazon. And if uh, if my voice hasn't thrown you and you're still here, I actually did the Audible, which was a, a lot of fun. So you can grab the Audible if that's your thing. As for Courageous, it depends on if you're looking for 
leadership, then it's courageous.io. If you're looking for a team to come in and help you kind of figure out the clarity side of your business, I always like to say we're we're a bit like a special forces that helps you pinpoint your special and then operationalize that special. I would go to couragebrands.com. Any of those work? I'm on LinkedIn. Shoot me a message. And I will say this, Darren, if any of your listeners are curious about their own personal values, they want to get down to their own values, permission granted to email me at ryanberman at couragebrands.com. And we'll get that over to you. Fantastic. I'll put all that in the show notes. Well, Ryan, thanks for coming on today. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate it, buddy. Be good. Let's do lunch soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast. My hope is you are walking away with tactics that you can apply to become a better leader in your life and in your career. If you're looking for additional insight and tactics, be sure to check out my book titled The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I would truly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also rate the podcast. Thanks and see you all in the next episode.